Do you ever feel like your to-do list is running your life instead of the other way around? I see you, Powerhouse, and I'm here to help you regain your sanity. As a busy wife, mom, and entrepreneur myself, my to-do list seemed never-ending. In fact, I often had multiple. Not to mention that nagging feeling of never getting enough things crossed off. The overwhelm was constantly churning in my head. That is until I started utilizing the brain dump. That's right. This simple yet strategic exercise completely transformed my life. And I've started sharing it with my clients and it's transformed theirs as well. So I have to share it with you, my audience. That's why I'm so excited to introduce the Powerhouse Brain Dump, A Better Way of Getting Shit Done, a game-changing ebook that is about to revolutionize the way you tackle tasks. My transformative method empowers you to banish the chaos and overwhelm and learn how to offload your mental clutter onto paper and provide a clear roadmap for action and success. This is not your typical productivity guide. No, no. It's a revolutionary approach for the fearless female lawyer who's ready to break free from overwhelm and reclaim her powerhouse status. So what are you waiting for? Say hello to a more organized and focused you. Grab your copy of the Powerhouse Brain Dump, a better way of getting shit done today by clicking on the link in the show notes or go to directly to eringuerner.com. I started realizing that that was a superpower, that that aspect of when we connect with what's happening in our bodies, what's happening with our feelings and our emotions, around our money situation, when we are able to hold space for that and allow it to clear, that's when we're then able to make, okay, well, what's the actual right decision? Now that we've cleared through the emotional piece more, what's the decision that actually makes sense that will allow us to make progress on our goals? You are more than a lawyer. You are a powerhouse. Welcome to Powerhouse Lawyers. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, a former lawyer, wife, mom, entrepreneur, and coach. And I'm here to show you what's possible. So if you're ready, let's go. Hey, powerhouses. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited for today's episode because we're going to talk about money, honey. That's right. We're going to talk about money and in such a good way, I think, because money's hard to talk about. It's easy to talk about making a lot of money and having a lot of money and doing all this kind of stuff. But what we really don't ever talk about is what it takes mindset wise inside your mind to actually achieve and sustain and grow wealth. And especially for lawyers, and I'm speaking from personal experience, I know that my money issues have played into a lot of my entrepreneur journey, a lot of my journey as a lawyer. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that, you know, as attorneys, we're super educated and we know a lot of things and we're at a job where we're making a lot of money but we actually really don't know like how to manage our finances well or how to keep that money or how to make it grow or you know if we wanted to make a change and step out of that current job how would we be able to do that and not make as much money or you know the, these kind of things and it's it's money stories and 
we have them and we feel a lot of shame and guilt around that. And I know I personally did. I was like, how is it possible that I am, you know, this super educated attorney and I feel like I don't know anything about money or like how to grow it, how to keep it, what I should be doing with it. I mean, that's just a very vulnerable place to admit that you are as a successful adult. And so what will happen is maybe put your head in the sand. Maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck, even though things are really great at work. Um, Or maybe you want to leave a current situation and you're like, financially, I don't even know how I would do this. And I don't think it's possible, aka the golden handcuffs. Those are, that is so tied deeply to our money stories. And we all have a money blueprint. We all, during our childhood, heard things about money, saw things about money, felt certain things in the, in about money when we were around it and the people around us, how they were, were reacting, whether we felt safe and secure. There's so many things that happen during childhood that imprint on our minds that then form beliefs and stories that we carry through into adulthood. So you may be at your current practice, at your current business, and you're like, man, I like literally keep hitting the same financial ceiling. Like I cannot get over a certain amount. I just can't. And for me, it was the same way. I was like, why can I not break through this financial barrier? Why do I keep butting my head up against the ceiling? Well, there's a money story there that I wasn't aware of, that I wasn't recognizing, and that I wasn't rewriting and healing. And so our guest today is a lady named Hannah Chapman. And not only is she a certified financial planner, and she's been in the financial industry for 17 years, she is an expert, obviously in that area, but she also combines human design, inner child work, and really dismantling these money stories. So you're not just going to your finance person and getting a checklist on how you're going to be financially successful, you're actually getting a checklist with the work that it takes internally, who you have to be to be able to make those financial shifts and be able to achieve the financial success that you want to achieve. So super excited about this episode today. I hope you guys enjoy it and stay tuned. Hey, powerhouses, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you guys here today. And I'm also so excited to introduce my next guest, my new friend, Hannah Chapman, who, oh my gosh, you guys, this is going to be such an exciting conversation. I'm so thrilled to have Hannah on the on the podcast. We met um, a couple days ago through LinkedIn and we just formed an instant connection. And I know she's going to offer so much value to you guys. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Hannah Chapman brings peace to the confusion and chaos of business and personal finances as a certified financial planner, accredited portfolio management advisor, and chartered retirement planning counselor. With over 17 years of experience in the financial sector and as the founder of X Squared Wealth Planning and Expansive CEO, she empowers visionary entrepreneurs to save wisely, spend joyfully, and support the causes that matter the most to them generously through financial planning and investment management and transformational prosperity coaching. She brings the intellect on board with transforming your money stories through the logical and practical aspects of wealth building, 
and business finance, but also brings the heart and soul on board through spiritual and intuitive aspects of human design, inner child healing, and more. So you guys, this is going to be a really awesome conversation about money and how we can bring more abundance into our lives and eliminate some of the stories that have been holding us back. But welcome to the show, Hannah. Hi, Erin. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. And yes, the way we connected was just so beautiful and serendipitous and so happy to be here. I love it. That's the best part of what I love about building this community is just making new connections with new powerhouses and bringing them on the show. So then you can just tell your story to the listeners and we can all get to know each other better and just form a bigger community where we can all support each other. So I love reading your bio and all the amazing things, but I would love for you to take us back to the beginning. How, tell us a little bit about your career. How did you get into the financial sector and how have you now kind of come full circle and you're helping um, entrepreneurs build prosperity in this really cool way? Yeah. So it has been a real journey. Um, And I get, you know, a lot of people here, like you've been in the industry for 17 years. How is that possible? I'm like, well, because I started when I was, you know, 21, right out of college. Um, I worked at a bank first. And then when my husband got into grad school in a different state, I started working in financial planning. Um, so I moved from a bank over to financial services, um, kind of proper, I guess you would say. Banking is also financial services, but, you know, financial planning, working with people and in, with investments and, and different things like that. So that aspect, I actually, actually started got my degree in flute, in flute performance, in music performance. So I have a bit of a different background um, from a lot of other people in my industry. And I've been here since I got out of college. So those two things, right? People are like, how did you, what, what, <laughs> how did you get there from music to, to finance? And what I like to share is that they're actually very similar, right? As far as like the, the music and math parts of your brain, the parts that read music, um, they also are that logical, um, that logical space. And so the other beautiful part of music is that it's also, uh, it comes alive when you put your emotions and your feelings into it. And when you get into the flow state of being able to play. Um, so I did play professional music for quite a while as well in different capacities. And I taught flute students and all of that. But the that combination of the logical, you know, using your logical mind, practicing, you know, putting a lot of diligence and, and detail into what you do, that's all part of being a high level musician. But it doesn't come alive until you bring the emotions out and actually tap into, you know, what's happening uh, in your own body as a musician and, and allowing that to flow through. And what I'm like connecting now is how important that's been in my whole journey through finance as well. Um, that as I started, I started in a wonderful practice um, where I learned a ton. Uh, so when we're, we're talking straight into financial planning, um, this was back in 2007, you know, had three partners in the firm, all exactly what you would imagine, you know, older white men, like, <laughs> duh. Um, but they were, they were great mentors in allowing me to learn about all kinds of different clients and in really doing a lot of planning from the very word go. And what I noticed was that I was very, very good with the details, with creating a really beautiful financial plan 
with like making a to-do list where you check the boxes, right? And then you're going to, you're going to do it, right? Here's your chart. Here's your, um, here's your to-do list. Go do it and you'll achieve all your hopes and dreams. And year over year, as we would see clients come back, sometimes some clients could do that. Um, this, these were typically the people who were executives, right? Who, um, or, you know, had a steady paycheck and got a bonus. And so like, okay, I'm getting my bonus. How am I going to, you know, what am I going to save? What am I going to, you know, fix on the house? La la la. But people with very steady income streams for the most part, the entrepreneurs and business owners, on the other hand, would come back year after year, having not really made very much progress because a lot of what they would do was fight fires in the business, right? And so all the money that they would make, they would take just enough and they wouldn't ever really quite know exactly how much to take, but they would take just enough for their own personal needs. And then everything else goes back into the business whenever, you know, something comes up that they have to funnel the money that they have saved, you know, so it was just always this game of, of catching up. And the checklist and the yearly meetings was, it just did not work for entrepreneurs. And I also noticed as I became an advisor a little bit later on that clients were very open with me where I had sat with them within meetings with uh, them, with their previous advisors. They did not open up the same way as they did with me when I became their advisor. You know, usually people would cry or they would like, here's what's really happening. How do I move through this? Um, and we would get to the emotional heart of the issue about why they weren't actually achieving the goals that they wanted to achieve. And I started realizing that that was a superpower, that that aspect of when we connect with what's happening in our bodies, what's happening with our feelings and our emotions around our money situation, when we are able to hold space for that and allow it to clear, that's when we're then able to make, okay, well, what's the actual right decision? Now that we've cleared through the emotional piece more, what's the decision that actually makes sense that will allow us to make progress on our goals? And when I launched X Squared, so I was, I was at that practice for a long time. Um, that's a whole other story of leaving and professional trauma that a lot of us have, right? When we're leaving places and everything happened in the way that it had to in order for me to feel ready to branch out on my own. And so in January of 21, I launched X Squared Wealth Planning and I knew I wanted to work with business owners because that was the that is what was on my heart it was like, I want to work with business owners who have a big vision, who really want to make a difference in the world. And that's, that's who I'm going to talk to. Um, so I do actually work with a lot of attorneys. So many attorneys have, have that, uh, that sense of, of justice and empowerment and wanting to help people, right? Like it's a helping profession at its core. Um, I think, and especially with women, attorneys. That's what I've seen so much over and over again, that women attorneys, especially like are helpers. Um, they are defenders. They want, they want to, uh, bring a sense of justice to, you know, right wrongs, all of that. And they also, the clients that I work with want to build a firm that is different. They don't want to replicate what they came out of because it led to burnout. It led to suicidal ideation. It led to feeling like they were completely worthless, right? If they didn't do the maximum amount of work all the time. And so we don't want to replicate that. So how do we build something that actually feels good 
and that actually makes a beautiful amount of revenue that supports ourselves and our employees and leaves room for growth, right? And allows us to like live the life that we actually want to live right now and build for a legacy in the future. And so that's where, you know, like my heart is like, I love supporting my clients who are just like that and helping them figure out the money stuff, right? What are the money fears that are coming up, especially with attorneys? Um, You come up usually, not always, but usually come out of a big firm having made a pretty significant paycheck, right? And so it's, you know, all the thoughts around money start to get, you know, constricted and scared. And how am I going to make that much? How am I going to replace my paycheck? How am I going to pay my employees? How am I going to pay myself? Right. There's just a lot that comes up and we have to work through that at the same time as that you're doing, you know, all of the logical stuff, Um, you know, the money management, the, how do you have, how do you position your cash reserves? How do you make sure you have the right kinds of insurance? All of that is important, but it's not going to actually move the needle until you tap in with yourself. Well, yeah. And I think there's also probably a lot of intimidation that comes with that too. Like not only do we have all of these like money issues that we haven't resolved that now we're talking about things that we're not super familiar with. And as attorneys that like puts us in a very like defensive, we're like, whoa, like that seems extra scary. So that is so impactful because I know for me, like I resonate so much with what you're saying. It's not just about the checklist. It's about the emotion tied to the dollars and cents that's required to complete the checklist. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to expand on when you're working with attorneys, what are things that they don't want to replicate that they've come from? So what are the things that they don't want when they're coming to you to build their firm differently? Yeah, a big piece of it um, is honestly, the thing that's coming up to share is the billable hour right? Like talking about how, how do we recreate what that means and what full-time means um, with your associates and how do you build, again, build a firm where people can stay, where you can have longevity, um, both for yourself and for the people that support you. So if you um, have a client who, you know, we went through this, it was very interesting when we first um, started working together she was very, very afraid to look at her books. You know, like, um, not that she wouldn't do it, but that there was so much fear, so much anxiety, right? We might label it anxiety in just opening up QuickBooks or Clio or, you know, the whatever system that you're using to see what was actually happening in the business. And what we started finding as we started, you know, regularly checking in, looking at this, she had a bookkeeper and a CPA. Um, So that was not like a whole, the books were done, they were ready. She just didn't want to look at them. And when we started diving in together from more of a, um, not a, not a, I'm not a CFO, I don't label myself as a CFO, um, but we are taking a lot of information from the reporting and looking at it together. So I can help people who are not at that level where they have a CFO yet um, to really start diving into the reporting and understanding what they're looking at. And what she found was that they they were spending a ton of time on, um, uh, what are they called? The contingency fee cases that they had outstanding and not enough on actual billable hours. So they do still use both and she still uses billable hours in her firm, but there was a calculation that we had to go through to see, okay, what actually does the firm need? How many billable hours do you want to require of your associates? 
and it turned out to be about 25 a week, not 40, right? It's not like work, you know, bill 40 hours and then do all of your admin stuff on top of that so that you're working at least 60 or 70 or writing, you know, writing off some of your hours so you have to bill even more. That's not the cycle that she wanted to repeat. She wanted to create space where it's like we can have team meetings, we can grow together, we can, um, you know, have space for contingency fee cases, we can have, you know, plenty billable hours as at the same time, and it doesn't feel oppressively overwhelming. And that's actually been working the way that her firm has grown in the last year since implementing that has been absolutely phenomenal, just from paying attention to it. So there's, that's one aspect, right, of like getting to choose how you want to experience your time, how you experience growth and being able to then for her in particular, like how many contingency fee cases do we want? How much billable time do we want, right? We get to actually choose that versus just blindly like, "Mm, I know I'm working on cases, but I don't, you know, I don't have a full insight into what this month looks like or next month or the next six months. So there's that piece, which leads to the full awareness, like being fully aware of everything around you rather than burying your head, whether that's in burying your head in work or paperwork or just, you know, burying your head in the sand, whatever it is, not, not wanting to be aware and just blindly like, I think it's going to be okay, you know, eh, check the wind. Yeah, we're fine. Like, you know, that only works for so long. And so why do you think I, because I, this is a common thread with attorneys, this like head in the sand about money. I find that more attorneys than I, and I'm speaking from my personal self as well, have really deep seated issues about money, like stories about money and looking at money and and having money and keeping money and making money and spending money and what it means to have money and like keeping running a business and all this kind of stuff. I'd love for you to speak to some of those beliefs that you find that are common threads with attorneys, because I resonate with that so much. Yeah. So I call these money stories. um, And I, I talk about them frequently because it's not it's not the reaction that you have, right? So let's say you build a client and they're late paying their invoice, right? That's not the money story. The money story isn't the client is late paying, paying the invoice. The money story is what's coming up in you. What are you making that mean about you or about your business or about the future, right? So the client is late paying their invoice. All right, what's the actual, the reaction might be fear, or anger, or disappointment, or anxiety, right? I've got, I've got to pay my employees, you know, we need this invoice to be paid, right? Like, fear bubbling up everywhere. What's the story underneath? It could be a lot of different things, actually. Um, But one of the stories is, I'm, you know, I didn't do a good enough job. Or what, you know, I didn't, I didn't do everything I needed to do. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough they're not paying me because I did something wrong, right? That it, that it can turn into that on a deeper level. It could also be, you know, not trusting. Like, I just don't trust that people are going to pay me. And that's my underlying belief is that it's just not ever going to be okay. There's never going to be enough. I'm always going to be on the back foot. I'm always going to be just barely 
uh, surviving because people are late paying me, right? It's going to kick up whatever different story that is currently playing, usually in multiple areas of your life. Yeah. So how do you, so I'm sure people like listeners are like, okay, well, I don't know if I have money stories. Like, how do I know if I have a money story? And I'm probably going to point out that we all have some sort of money story. Like we all, this happens to all of us. We all have an inner child. It all, you know, there are all these stories and beliefs from childhood. It's, it's a whole thing. We could do a whole nother podcast on it. But so I'm sure the listeners are like, okay, well, I don't really know if I have money stories. How can you speak to that and be like, actually, how can you become more aware of what's actually happening in your mind and your body when it comes to money? Yeah. So that's such a good point. And I've had people say that before. Like, I didn't think I had money stories, right? Until they had one come up and they're like, oh, that's what that is. I get it. Um, so the money stories that you alluded to it perfectly, it stems from our experience as children, as adolescents, at different points in our lives. It could even be, you know, early adulthood, right? So we have these formative times of our lives. And a lot of our most tender, most deeply held stories come from age zero to seven. And that's when developmentally, we're not rejecting very much information, right? From zero to seven, we are taking in information constantly and about our world and just, oh, okay, this is how it is. This is how my world is. So this is how the entire world is. And we're just taking all of that in. So we're imprinting a lot of information from age zero to seven. One of the core pieces of that is your safety and security. So we don't always know what money even is at that age right? We, we might learn, you know, what are your dollars? What are your you know, coins mean? We learn that kind of stuff. Um, but we don't know what it means on a fundamental level. What we do know is, are we safe? Are we secure? Do we have food on the table every, every day? Do we live somewhere where we are in a safe neighborhood? Are our parents or our caregivers, whoever that is, are they constantly stressed out? Or are they calm and able to respond to us, right? So all of these factors are leading to our own safety and security, and it's coming from money. We just don't understand that necessarily. When we go through age 7 to 14, that next developmental stage, that's when we start noticing more of what money means, right? So we we understand safety and security or not safety and security, right? Whatever our situation was growing up. And then in the second phase of life, we start to understand what the actual implications of having money or not having as much money as other people means, right? Or having enough money, but you know, your caregivers have different ideas about what you should do with money or what money means, or if it's, um, something that grows on trees or not, right? Or if we, I had one client who had a great realization, um, he grew up fairly middle class, nothing, you know, no financial hardship um, that he could remember, but we did um, this experience, this money story meditation experience to age 10. I like to go to age 10 for that reason. And he came out of it with a memory of a soccer game. He was great soccer player. He had 
his, his cleats were pretty beat up. They were like almost like flapping apart at this point. And he really wanted his friends all had the cool orange neon orange cleats at that time. He really wanted those. And his parents said, you can make do with what you have. And so when the, he came out of that meditation space, he was like, uh, oh, wow, I'm doing that everywhere. I am making do, right? They, he really needed to hire at least two new people in order to make everything in the business work more efficiently at that point. But he was making do. He's like, oh, we can, we can, he noticed it immediately. We, we can make do until this time. We can, you know, well, this person can do this. I can do that. We can make do. We can make do. We can make do. And when he saw the story underneath that, he was like, oh, that's not my story that's not my story. I can let that go and make the decision that I actually know is the right decision for my business, which is to hire because it's going to be okay. When, when we did the actual math, this happened to be a client as well. Um, and so we don't always know what's going to come up, right? As a money story, but they're under there, right? Money doesn't grow on trees. Sometimes it's money is the root of all evil. Like rich people are bad. Sometimes it's poor people did something wrong, right? Like like whatever culture we grew up in has its own money stories. And we get imprinted with those. And we don't necessarily know that until we take the time to step back and allow ourselves to see what's, you know, what's at our bedrock. Yeah, I've heard it called your money blueprint before. I think that's like mm. T. Harv Ecker in The Millionaire Mind or whatever that book. Um, but he calls it your money blueprint. And I that like really resonated with me because I was like, yes, that does. You never really think about that and how those experiences, everything you heard, saw, were told, you know, felt all of those things, how it literally is like a blueprint on you. And then everything builds off of that and you get to your adult life and you think that you're functioning just fine. But when instead you're actually, you know, a story is actually blocking you from handling a situation a certain way, acquiring a certain amount of wealth or bringing in a certain amount of abundance. Like I think people, they get to the point where they're like, God, I feel like I'm just hitting my head against the ceiling. Like, what is the problem? Like, I can't go past this certain level. I can't go past this certain level. And don't you find, Hannah, that it really is oftentimes breaking through that money story that allows them to break that ceiling? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The client I was talking about before, who is a law firm owner, um, she was sitting at around, I want to say around 50000 in revenue um, per month at that time when we started working together and still feeling super stressed about being able to pay herself and all of that. Like there was, there was a lot that we had to work through and by doing this. So she had, she had her own money stories, right? It was really interesting to go through that exercise with her too, and see what came up for her. Um, and as we worked through those things and over time, you know, especially around the anxiety, the fear of looking, right. There was a lot of fear of, um, of hiding, she, she felt like she was hiding a lot, fear of being seen, fear of feeling vulnerable, right? The money conversation feels vulnerable. So there's that not wanting to, not wanting to be seen or be revealed as I don't have this as together, quote unquote, as I think I should by now. And so that story, that's a really pervasive one with people who are highly successful. If you're a highly successful attorney and you don't feel like you have your money 
as buttoned up as you have other things in your life, that's going to feel really vulnerable to reveal to someone. And so that's where she was at too. And as we, you know, gently worked through that over and over again, um, to be able to look and to be able to see again, how many billable hours do the associates and you need to be doing per month in addition to contingency and all of these, as she started to put that stuff into the, into place, she started having 90 to a hundred thousand dollar months, yeah. like within a year and seeing like, oh, this is actually pretty easily sustainable when we pay attention to it. Yeah. It really is incredible because I do think attorneys often, it's very much what you say, like there's so much guilt and shame around that. It's like, we're so educated. We're so smart. We have this great job and we're making all this money, but yet we like don't want to open the bank account because we don't really want to look and see what's going on because Mm -hmm. we don't know, we don't understand, or we don't feel like we know enough or we don't understand enough, or maybe it's gone on so long that like, now you're like, oh my God, now I can't actually ask for help because I should have asked for it a long time ago. And now I look like a real idiot that I've waited this long, you know, all of these. And that's, again, that's just a money story built on another money story, but it's amazing Mm -hmm. what you said when you move that out of the way, how much growth can happen when you just move that block out of the way. I would love to know how you incorporate human design into this because I think that is a really interesting aspect. Um, I had a a couple episodes ago, um, I had my friend Amanda Stark come on here and talked about the basics of human design. So you can go back and kind of listen to that episode to kind of get the basics. But I would love for you to expand on how you use human design. And this is fascinating to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad um, that you've already had someone on to like talk about the basics and all that. Because for me, um, when I started my firm, my financial planning firm, I was in the midst of a lot of personal growth as well. And I, I've heard from very, very many entrepreneurs, right. And and experienced this myself, that entrepreneurship itself is one of, is like the fast track to personal growth and development, because in order to do what you want to do, you have to keep looking inside over and over again and see where you're stopping yourself. Um, So one of the first things that I was introduced to um, when I started uh, out on my own was the Enneagram. And that was great. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. But I mistyped myself, um, <laughs> partly because there's like lots of questions you have to do. It. So I thought I was a three, which is the achiever. Like that makes sense. Type A, go for it, driven, all, you know. And then, but it was like, something doesn't sit right with that. And then I heard a podcast, coincidentally, where someone had said she started with the Enneagram and then kind of felt like it wasn't quite hitting right. And then she learned about human design and that was it. And she went down the rabbit hole and I was like, huh, that sounds like me right now. So what is human design? So here I go, like just like full rabbit hole. I, you know, when I get excited about something, I like dive in head first. Do you have a one in your profile? I do not. I'm a six. Oh my gosh. I'm shocked. Oh my gosh. Like usually that's the rabbit hole. Cause I have a one in my profile. And so that's totally me. I'm like, base, I'll see you later. I'm going to find all the information. Yeah. (laughs) So I do, I do have that, um, trait as well, but I, yeah, I'm not a one profile. So it's funny. It's a, it's a funny aspect. Um, and so I spent like so many hours, like all of my free time, basically, I was just so excited and enthralled with this, um, learning about myself first and understanding me. And I was like, this is fascinating. And then I started 
learning about my husband. And then I have three children. So I started learning about my three kids. And then I started learning about connections like, oh, well, like this, the connection chart between us and between my kids. And, and pretty naturally from there, um, I started talking about it with clients who were interested, right? So I have a lot of heart-centered entrepreneurs in my client base because that's how I am. And so I started having clients who were like, oh, wait, what is that? I was like, well, let's look together, right? Because I had spent, oh my God, I can't even, hundreds, literally hundreds of hours um, just in that first year researching and, and learning. And it's just gone on, you know, since then as well. But last year, so it was about a year in, um, I started actually working with clients to understand their own type better and start utilizing that in their business. So there are actually um, several aspects that I call money magnetism aspects of your human design. And I also incorporate gene keys as well, which is another piece that really um, illuminates the, I want to say the hexagrams and the, the Chinese I Ching aspect of the hexagrams of of human design. Uh, this is like a re retelling of the story kind of, of the hexagrams, uh, with the gene keys. So between those two aspects, between human design and gene keys, there are pieces that really reflect your brand, like what you show to the world that reflect your culture, how you connect with other people that reflect your message, how you communicate to others. Um, and then that reflect one of the most important pieces for me is your strategy and authority, which is your decision-making, right? So we all have one of several different decision-making authorities. And if we're constantly going against what we know, like our true knowing, that's our decision-making authority, that's where, you know, we're constantly feeling, we're second-guessing ourselves and always feeling like we made the wrong decision on the other side. So the example that I like to give there I'm sacral authority. And so that means it's like a gut feeling of, yes, I'm excited. I'm leaning in. That's a yes for me. If I'm like hanging back or like feeling like, nah, like that's a no. And if my mind then tries to come in or if someone tries to convince me otherwise, like what are your pros and cons list? Where's, you know, why are you doing this or that? It needs to be a logical decision. That is not that is not healthy for me to override. If I have a very strong no to something and someone is trying to convince me into it, that's going to be a wrong decision for me. I'm going to regret it later. If it's a yes decision and I just need some more, like sometimes the mental filtering is actually really helpful, right? To refine the yes. But if it's a no and someone pushes me, like I, I would allow myself before to be pushed out of my no. And that was not, that was not good you know, and it felt like I didn't know myself enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, my sacral authority, getting in tune with that was so, so important. But other people have different authorities. And so learning to honor the way other people make decisions. My husband, for example, is emotional authority. And so he has to go through a different process. He doesn't have that gut yes or no. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have emotional? Yeah, I do too. Like I have to ride the wave. And that's yeah. been, that's been so pivotal for me to just lean into that. Yes. And so if someone is pushing you into a buy it now decision, right? Like you have to decide now you can say, see you later. The answer is no, because you're not giving me the space that I need to, to go through. Is this right for me? Is this, is this wrong? Right. You kind of need the pros and cons list. 
You need to ride the ups and downs until you get to the neutral. Yeah, for sure. So what are some of like, I know we won't like get into gene keys or all that kind of stuff, but what is an example of using, what did you call a money? Money magnetism. Yeah. What is, so what are some examples of these money magnetisms? Yeah. So one um, that I've been talking about a lot recently is our pearl sphere. So in the gene keys, there's a, there's a, there are different sequences of like, this is an important pathway for you to understand about yourself, different aspects. One of them is called the prosperity sequence or the pearl sequence. And your pearl is um, your relationship to money. And so what that means is if money were a person, right, this, and I talk about this too pretty often, that money is actually one of our primary relationships that we have in our lives, right? Our relationship to security, our relationship to, um, you know, feeling like, you know, money's going to be there or not be there, right? If we personify that, your pearl will actually tell you what you tend to do when you are in the shadow or when you're in the gift. So there are three, um, three levels to your gene keys. The gene keys tell you the shadow of, of this, um, this aspect, right? So this is where you're in your not self theme, where you're feeling frustrated, where you're feeling bitter, where you're feeling angry, where you're anything stuck, confused, that's all shadow aspect. The gift energy is where you are, you are like shining out into the world that you are like, I've got this. I am confident. I am cool. I am collected. I know where I'm going. Gift in this in this energy. The third energy is called the Siddhi, S-I-D-D-H-I, which is also a term used like in yoga and different things like that. So this is like the highest expression that we don't nat- naturally get to necessarily as humans. This is like the, you know, the if you were to be at enlightenment stage, like that's the city, right? So we're like, we're not really worried about that. I don't really, I don't really uh, focus on that very much. I focus on when you're feeling the shadow of your relationship with money, how can you move into the gift? So when we look at our pearl, again, this relationship that we have with money itself as if it was another person, I'll give my example from my own chart. So in my chart, the gene key that goes with my money, um, my money relationship, my pearl, uh, goes from self-obsession, either self-denying or narcissistic, to naturalness is the gift, to being as the city. And so where am I going to notice this self-obsession with money? I notice this, especially when the self-denying tends to be more. So there's a repressive and a reactive side to every um, shadow. When I am self-denying, it's so easy for me to pick it out, right? It's, I actually need a new pair of shoes because I've had, this was recently, I have had my Converse sneakers for two years and they're literally like falling apart. My children need new shoes. I will buy them two pairs just to make sure, right? That's self-denying. I actually need new shoes. I need new running shoes, right? I need new shoes for, like, I'm allowed to buy myself new shoes when I need them. I don't have to always be martyring myself saying that, oh, you know, like I can, again, almost that make do with what you have piece, right? The self-denying 
Another really great example is um, this necklace actually that I'm that I'm wearing. It's really beautiful. I've had it for um, a while now, but I did not feel that I could buy myself something nice for a long time. Like I I just did not. I, I wanted it. I saw myself with this like beautiful necklace, and I just couldn't like bring myself to buy it for myself as a gift for any reason. And, you know, that, that noticing, noticing where I'm either denying myself something that I need or something that I truly want is a space where I get to, oh, okay, let's look at that. Because if I'm doing that to myself, where else am I doing that in my world and in my life and denying my relationship with, with what I truly want and need and sacrificing for others? guess what? I'm always going to buy my kids shoes. I'm not going to deny them shoes, right? I'm allowed to also have shoes. And so moving into naturalness, moving into that, that gift of, oh, of course, of course you're allowed to, you know, take care of yourself. Of course you're allowed to, you know, give yourself gifts when it's, when it feels, you know, appropriate and that you want something for yourself. That's natural. That's okay. Um, and giving myself that permission then allows me to to like radiate out that gift for others to do the same, to notice where they're denying what they truly want or need. And then move into, hey, let's actually look at your situation when it comes to a client. Let's look at your situation together so that you can see where that's going to be okay. Or where maybe you need, okay, we need to save a little bit more here. We need to reposition a little bit in your money to make this work, but it's okay right? That's the, the, we, we default to the self-denying. A lot of people do default to that self-denying. And what we need to do is take a look and be aware and then make a new choice. So how do we find our pearl? Like if people were going to go on their gene keys, like what's it like, is there a simple way to kind of go figure this out? Your pearl is your conscious Jupiter on your human design chart. So if you look at your human design chart, um, almost all of them will have, you know, like boxes or something on the right and the left. And so the right side of your chart is going to be your personality or conscious side. And the left side, the numbers going down the left side are, are going to be your unconscious or your design side of your chart. So we're looking on the, the right side and you go down. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine, six, seven, eight, the ninth number down. It's got the Jupiter symbol. And that is your conscious Jupiter. That is your pearl. And so it'll give you a number and then you can then look up that number in the gene keys. That is amazing. Okay. Well, I'm going to go do that too. I'm like, everybody go out and find their pearl and then contact mm-hmm. Hannah and we, then she can coach you on how to, <laughs> how to use your yes. pearl to have financial success. That is amazing. So yeah. before I let you go, I'd love if you would just give our listeners some tips. Like obviously awareness is the first key to everything, but if you know, we've got some listeners that are sitting there have listened to this and they're like, I know I've got like, clearly I'm blocked somewhere here and there is some money story going on. Like what are a couple tips that you could offer them that they could kind of start unraveling that belief, kind of identifying exactly what it is and kind of starting to heal some of that a little bit. So the best tips that I can give for, you know, if you want to start doing this 
yourself is to, um, one, the awareness is key. Um, I do a guided meditation also, um, that I don't know if I have it posted online anywhere. Um, but I'll do a guided meditation that goes down into asking your 10 year old self what they know about money, right? What is it that is, is coming up for them, your 10 year old self? What do, what do they experience with money? And that story that comes up a lot of times actually does have a link to whatever your biggest challenge is right now. So the second aspect, what we tend to want to do is, oh, I have an awareness. What do I do? How do I fix it? (laughs) What's the action step? Um, And literally, I just posted about this today um, on on Facebook, socials, all of that, uh, that when we do that, we steamroll the, the acceptance. We steamroll the actual feeling of the emotion and allowing that to move up and out of our body so that we can make a clear, conscious choice about what's next. So we have this awareness. Okay, I know something's coming up. I know something's blocking me. If you can ask your inner child or or even just like sit in meditation and ask, what is this thing that's blocking me? And whatever comes up, trust it then the acceptance, the acceptance piece in the middle is allowing yourself to see how that's true. Allowing yourself to um, say you do an inner child meditation and giving your 10-year-old self so much love and saying, I see you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And just understanding that that is, that is what is at the moment. And that piece, not steamrolling the acceptance, is what allows the aligned action to be so much more powerful because you're then moving from a place of clarity, not from a place of fear. It's the compassion and grace part that we have to have for that acceptance part. It's like compassion and grace. And just knowing, I think so many times we want to you know, whiplash that per- that version of ourselves and shame that version of ourselves and be like, you should have known, you should have not, you know, because based on the information we know now, based on right. what we know now, but we can't shame prior versions of ourselves or steamroll emotions based on what we know now. It's important mm-hmm. to understand what that emotion is to be able to heal it and confront it with passion and, and compassion and grace. And I think yes. we we shame ourselves so much, especially as women, because we've got to have it all together all the time for everybody. And we're not allowed to, you know, have a moment where we just need to like take a minute. So that's so powerful that you are offering that to people. And thank you so much for talking about money stories. I think this is something that we don't talk about enough. I know that it's not, I don't talk about it enough. And I know that entrepreneurs and high achievers are not talking about it enough. So Thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want to work with you? Oh, yes. So um, I work with people in two capacities, um, both as a fully you know, certified financial planner. I'm a fiduciary advisor um, for my clients where we do comprehensive financial planning for the business and for personal. And like you said, we bring human design, we bring this inner child healing into the process. Um, but we are also really like diving into the implementation, into looking at your books, into, you know, how do we create the right accounts for you? All of that, the full spectrum. Um, that is at X squared wealth planning. So you can find that at X 
numeral2wealthplanning.com. And you can actually book a free get to know you call with me there as well. Um, And get to know you call is really, truly, we just get to know each other a little bit, see if it's a, it's a good fit to even move into an actual discovery call. um, So that, you know, I can, I can assess if, I'm going to be a good fit for you um, and be able to actually provide you with the help that you need. Or if I need to refer you to someone else who would do, um, you know, be the right fit. Um, I also work with people in a more of a coaching capacity, business consulting, coaching um, through expansive CEO. And that's where the money magnet mastermind meets as well. Um, We talk about these uh, money magnetism aspects and I help people understand their full pearl sequence in a deep dive session um, as well. So that's at expansiveceo.com and you can look at the different options that are available there as well. And you can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the all the socials. Amazing. And we'll link all that up in the show notes as well. So people can have it, but we know we're not going to let you go without your fun, legally blonde moment. So we've got to have that. So what is something funny that has happened lately, Miss Hannah? Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like I need to have more fun, uh, in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I, I tend towards like being more, um, I would say more serious, but like very like compassionate and loving. And so, right. So like the funny ass, I need to, what's my, what's my funny story? Um, Oh, mm, (laughs) I don't know if that one's appropriate to share. Uh, Right. But we, we did, we did adopt a dog. Um, So we have, we have a lab and um, he's almost four and he was getting very lazy. He's, he's very sweet and we love him very much. Um, But we felt like he needed a friend. He hadn't had a, a friend for quite a while. And so we adopted an older dog. She's about six. Um, a few months ago, we've had her for almost four months. And mm, the other day she actually like went outside. I was about to get, I was about to get ready for a meeting. I was like moving towards all the stuff that I had to do. She stepped right in dog poo and then came in the house and walked it all over the floor. And I was like, ah, and you're just like, please stop walking. Please stop walking. Stop moving. Stop moving. And she's like, but why, but why? And I was like, no more moving, no more moving. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was a comedy of like, make the dog stop. Yes. And you've got literal (laughs) dog crap all over your house now. Like the dog is stepped in crap and now you have dog crap all over your house. And it is, it's just so, I mean, because honestly it's like laugh or cry at that point. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And thank God, like all I could think of was like, thank God that I have wood floors. So it was just wood, like no carpet. I was like, can you imagine if I had to clean that up with carpet cleaner? through the entire like first floor. So that was, um, that really was like a, like laughing as we're cleaning up. My husband was on a call that he couldn't. And then when he was done, he was like, Oh my God, what do I do now? What is happening? And why does the entire house smell like a dog crap? Because like, like, you do this, I'll do that. Well, yeah. And so she is, she's so sweet. Um, truly she's the, she's hilarious. She is like, she's got like 300% more energy than our other lab. So she keeps him like moving all the time. And um, yeah, so that was my recent disaster. That's good. I've had a Roomba go through um, a dog poop before. So yeah. 
Oh my God. That's so much it's, worse. It's literally <laughs> like a zero out of 10 recommend. And that's like, <laughs> you just lost a $500 appliance. Like you can't do anything. There's no coming back from that. There's just no, no. there's absolutely no coming back from that. Like I've been there and I do not recommend it. So I'm with you on the dog poop, girl. Lord have mercy. Oh my gosh, Hannah, this was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. And I know that my listeners are going to love this. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun, Erin. Amazing. All right, powerhouses, y'all have a great week. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you loved this episode, I would be so honored if you left a review. And because I know you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win, be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. By sharing it, you are empowering a fellow sister in the law to know that she is not alone, that there is nothing wrong with her, and that she can build a life and career that she loves. Thank you. See you next week. Hey, Powerhouse. As a dedicated listener to this podcast, I have curated a special place just for you. It's called the Powerhouse Lawyers Facebook group. You can head on over to the show notes, click on the link, and join our community. This Facebook group is for listeners of the show, attorneys, no matter where you are in your practice, maybe you're a law student, or maybe you're just someone fascinated by the legal profession. This Facebook group is for you. This is a community that is going to engage in discussions on episodes. You'll get special exclusives. There's valuable networking opportunities. I'll be providing some educational content. And above all, you'll get a strong, supportive community and support system. So click on the link in the show notes below to join the Powerhouse Lawyers Facebook community where community, knowledge, passion, and collaboration thrive. Again, head on over to the show notes to click on the link to join the Facebook group for the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Thanks so much. See you guys there.